Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. So, you know, probably the, the most difficult thing about preparing to share Today has just been the weight of what's been going on. I mean, it's a cliche, but, you know, it's, uh, it's been a month of Sundays since last Sunday. It's felt that way, you know. Sunday, last Sunday is a week away. Uh, you know, weeks come and gone, but man, a week has come and gone. And to be honest, if we took a survey, nobody would have written down what would have, what did occur over the last seven days, uh, and predicted it for this week? I mean, up until Tuesday morning, we still didn't have really a clue that the hurricane, a Cat Two hurricane, was going to be hitting us Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. And here we are, a week later, and you know, our we look around. We had a lot of people that's not here, a lot of people that are in our congregation that either just got power on, still don't have power. And we've got some folks that you know had no issues whatsoever. Praise the Lord. We've got others that have said, "Hey, we've had major issues that have that have happened." And then to be prepared to share a word of encouragement, because not only is I think it's my job to do that as one of the staff people of the church, but it's also I think the message that God has for us today is to stand firm, to be encouraged. And yet being able to share such a message can be a little daunting and a little uh, difficult. Because let's be honest, it's been a difficult week. And I don't want to hear, and I'm sure you don't want to hear, somebody get up on stage and say, everything's going to be all right. Yay, let's go, let's go, let's go. And just hear another speech, hear another encouraging word, and then walk out the doors and like, well, that's not going to help me for the rest of the day and over the course of the next week or two. Yet, God has prepared a word for each of us to hear today. So if you would, open your Bibles up to Jeremiah chapter 15. Jeremiah chapter 15. So if you've got your Bibles, and you take it and you open it to the very center, most likely that's going to put you right in the center of Isaiah. You turn it just a little bit to the right, and you're going to find Jeremiah. Jeremiah 15, and I'll kind of share the story of why we... Are going there in just a minute. So as Kevin said just a little while ago, you know, what a difference a week makes. Back in the January time frame, I felt like God gave me the word for 2020 when I was talking uh, for specifically for the youth ministry. But now I'll look back and I see that it was for the entire church is the word overcome. And I remember thinking when I received this word from God, when I just felt like this is what God said back in the January time frame, I remember specifically talking to the teenagers and saying, I don't know if this was a word that we have overcome 2019, or if it's a word that we will overcome 2020, or if it's a both and. Now I'm looking back, it's a both and. Because I was thinking back, I was listening to someone yesterday, um, and Part of the conversation was how tough 2019 was. But because of everything that's happened in 2020, 
we've kind of lost track of it. But I think back about my own heart, my own life. I felt like I was limping out of 2019 into 2020 and had this aspiration of more and the, and the great things that were going to happen in 2020. And, you know, the year of vision because it's 2020 and yet get the word overcome. And I was like, hmm, that's going to be interesting. And here we are in the middle of September. And that is a foundational word that we have to gravitate to. We have to remember, we have to look at as part of the foundation of what God is telling us and has in store for us. So thinking through that, I look back at the message for the last three weeks. So Pastor Jeff's been out uh, for a few weeks, and two weeks ago we looked at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and spoke about this doxology, this prayer, this a blessing that Paul prayed over, spoke over the church of Thessalonica, that their spirit, that their soul, and that their body would be found blameless. And so we said, well, we've got three weeks. Let's look at this over three different sections. So two weeks ago, we looked at the soul, the mind, keeping the soul and the mind pure and focused on God. And then last week, Dr. Tim shared with us about the body and the necessity of keeping the body, what goes into our mouth, uh, holy and, and pure in the sight of God, taking care of ourselves during this difficult year that's been going on where stress eating and anxiety eating and, and not taking care of our body can lead to more difficult circumstances. So a focus on taking care of the mind and taking care of the body. And then today was scheduled to be focusing on a spiritual renourishment. And I think that's still the purpose of today. That God knew before the creation of the world that today we in this congregation needed to hear about the foundation of a spiritual renourishment. Especially in a time, in a year of many difficulties. Some of these difficulties we have shared together. Some of the difficulties you and myself have had to carry alone or within a smaller group based on what's happened in our own hearts and our own lives. And so I want to read this verse in Thessalonians. Don't turn here. I'm just going to read it quickly as a reminder of what it is that we can pray over our own hearts, over our own lives, and what I would encourage you to get in the habit of praying these type of prayers. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23 and 24 Paul wrote this to the church. May God himself, the God of peace, the God of shalom, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. What truth that is for us today. A reminder that as we pursue holiness, as we pursue blamelessness, as we pursue sanctification, a setting apart, a purification of our own bodies, minds, and spirits, as we are pursuing that, God, through Jesus Christ, or Jesus Christ through the Father, is allowing us and helping us and doing that in us because He is who He says He is. And the easy thing to do when everything is going wonderful is to shout those songs and sing those praises and say, God's a good, good God. He's a great Father. He takes 
takes care of us. But when things are difficult is when we tend to struggle with the truths. And that's why the truths have to be a foundation. Because the foundation is what will either erode away if it's not a firm foundation, or it will hold us up and help us through the difficult times if it is a firm foundation. And if our foundation is on the rock of Jesus Christ, then it is a firm foundation that will not wash away when the currents of life come flooding in. And this has been a year for all of us that the currents of life have come trying to erode away our foundation. And for some, our foundation has been eroded away. For others who are firmly fixed on that foundation of Jesus Christ, that rock, even though everything else around is eroding away, their faithfulness, their devotion, their pursuit of the things of God have not eroded away. And they're my heroes. They really are. I have went to visit some folks in the first, uh, some of our senior adults in our first service uh, over the last few days and, and just having some conversations. Want to make sure that they're okay and, and just seeing what the weather's done. If you were, drove through proper, you say that proper got hit pretty hard. And over and over and over again through face-to-face conversations, through phone calls and through text, every one of these folks that I'm talking with are like, praise the Lord, God is good. He took care of us. Praise the Lord, could have been worse, but He provided. Over and over and over, I'm observing an overcoming mentality through the people that I'm having this conversation with. Folks that have been without power for 48, 72 hours or longer. For, uh, people who have lost major trees. People who have lost uh, food and refrigeration. All these things that are going on. And over and over and over again, it's a positive outlook because God is good and God's taking care of us. And that's an inspiration for me. That's an inspiration for all of us. Because God is good. And being able to Proclaim that truth in the midst of hard times, in the midst of tragedy, that takes practice, that takes perseverance, that takes a know-how attitude to be able to do that. That takes intentionality, and it's a choice that we make. So I was reviewing a bunch of different scriptures, thinking through spiritual renourishment today. Looked at some of the words of Jesus, some of the words of Paul, some of the words of Peter. Just this incredible wealth of spiritual renourishment type of verses. Let me give you a few of them that we're not going to talk about. But just some of these spiritual champion type verses. One of them is Jesus speaking in John chapter 6 verse 35 where Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Wow! Spiritual truth, spiritual foundation, bread of life, the drink of life. We'll never be hungry, never be thirsty. We could preach on that and and, and speak to the glory of God, the glory of Jesus through that. That is a foundational verse for us as Christ's followers. That's a foundational verse for all of us going through difficult times to focus on that. But that's not where God took me specifically today. Another was Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, you've probably heard this verse, if not memorized this verse. Chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, Peter says, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, 
so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Have we tasted that the Lord is good? Do we crave the spiritual milk? Do we crave spiritual nourishment? When we are lacking in spiritual nourishment, does our body go into convulsion? Does our body go into withdrawals to where we cry out and say, I want more spiritual nourishment. I need more of this heavenly spiritual milk to fill me and flood me and cover me and take care of me and re-nourish the essence of who I am within my spirit. For years, I've talked to the teenagers about the three aspects of our life here on earth. Our emotional, physical, and spiritual. And what I've discovered, and this is true for my own life, so I'm not going to say it's universally true, but for my life, what I have found is I can endure the emotional issues and the physical issues a whole lot more. I can, I can endure them a little bit better if my spiritual life is founded, if my spiritual life is flourishing, if my spiritual relationship with God is in a good place. But if I'm lacking in the spiritual, then the weight of physical issues and the weight of emotional issues become much, much heavier. That's why it is so important to have a spiritual renourishment ongoing within ours, within each of us daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, doing what we need to, what we can, grasping the necessity of more of the Spirit of God dwelling within us. So as I was thinking through today's topic, a statement came to me that I wrote down that I think speaks to the situation that many of us are in today. And it's this statement. When it is most necessary to think godly, it tends to be the hardest, especially if not practiced. Let me read that again. When it is most necessary to think godly, it tends to be the hardest, especially if not practiced. Have you found that it's difficult to think godly when times of stress and times of strain are upon us? You see, Thinking intentionally about God takes practice. Thinking godly takes practice. It's not something that just becomes natural. I'm always thinking godly thoughts. I'm always thinking and praising Him. I'm always singing. I can make it through the storm because God speaks to the storm. You know, as the storm was going through Tuesday and Wednesday, the thought that kept coming to my mind over and over again as I was doing my best to stay positive and think godly was the story of Moses on the mountaintop on Mount Sinai where God said, I'm going to come through in various different ways. And one of the ways that I'm going to come through and show you my power is through the wind and, and the wind on top of the mountain. So basically, in the original language, it talks about like a hurricane come across the mountain on top of Mount Sinai. Can you imagine being on top of a mountain a rock, rock mountain not covered with trees and standing there while this huge wind, this hurricane-type wind came blowing through and then God speaks to Moses and says, guess what? I'm not in the wind. I'm in that still, small voice. And so I'm watching the wind whip around the house and trees leaning on their side and thinking to myself, God's not it there. God's in that still, small voice. This is part of the power of God. This is the fingertip of God, but this is not where God is. 
God's in that still small voice speaking to me on the inside. And so we look at Jeremiah. I want you to look at Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16 is where we're going to start for just a, a moment. But let me set the stage for Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, is the largest book in the entire Bible. So let that sink in for just a moment. How much time have you spent, have we spent studying the works of Jeremiah? Well, I can tell you, if you spend a lot of time studying the writing of Jeremiah, it almost leads to depression because it's tough. It's hard. Jeremiah had a hard, hard, hard life. He was called around the age of 20. He was early 20s when he was called to be a prophet of the Lord. And you think, well, that's pretty cool. He got his calling kind of early. He knew his his road. He knew his path already set before him for the rest of his life. Yeah, and he struggled in it. And here's why he struggled. Because when he was called, there was an evil king on the throne in Judah. You see, uh, a little bit, a few years earlier, a number of years earlier, the, the kingdoms had split into two kingdoms, the kingdom of Israel. So you had three kings had King Saul, the first king of Israel. Then you had King David. Then you had King Solomon. And when King Solomon died, the nation split in two. You had the northern kingdom, which kept the name Israel. You had the southern kingdom, which took the name Judah. And for a number of years earlier, before Jeremiah was even born, the Assyrians came in and conquered Israel, the northern kingdom, and took them into captivity. There's only a remnant of folks left in that area But Judah was still around, and then Jeremiah was born. And then around 20 years old, he received his calling when there was an evil king on the throne. And of the years of his calling, he he was a, a prophet for 40, 50 years. Of his years on the prophet, there was only a small section of time into which he was under and had a good king, King Josiah. The rest of the time, the entire nation was ran by evil kings. He experienced seven kings in his lifetime before the seventh king fell to the final invasion of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, in which he then went to Egypt, it's believed, and lived out the rest of his life there. Jeremiah never married. Matter of fact, we, we see in Scripture he was commanded not to marry not to have children. And God was basically doing that to spare him the stress and the strain and the anxiety because he said, your your wife, your children will not want to endure what it is that's fixing to happen. You see, Jeremiah spoke doom and gloom over the nation of Judah, what's left of Israel. Spoke doom and gloom. You see, what was going on for years and years and years, for generations, the nation was in rebellion against God. For a nation was going in an opposite direction. They did not worship God. They did not serve God. They did not trust in Him. And God had had enough of it. God was giving them the final warnings. The final few years, He was giving them chance after chance after chance. And so Jeremiah preaching the truth, Jeremiah prophesying the truth, Jeremiah telling the people, turn away from your wickedness and look at the goodness of God. Focus on God. And God basically told him, I'm done with this people. I don't want to have anything to do with them anymore. I'm going to send the sword. I'm going to send famine. I'm going to send pestilence. I'm going to send wickedness in and they're going to be destroyed. They're going to be scattered. I'm tired of dealing with them. And Jeremiah, much like Moses and much like Samuel, 
went to the throne of God and called out and said, God, please spare your people. Please bless them. Please bring repentance. Please bring a heartfelt compassion back for them. And God said, no more. No more. So you have to understand, as, as Jeremiah, as a young man, all throughout his life, carried this message of turn away from your wickedness, the people refused and said no. So he was not a very popular individual. Well, maybe he was the only prophet around. No, there were many prophets, but the majority of the prophets, all the prophets were saying, God's going to bless us. God's going to take care of us. God's not going to let anything bad happen to us. And God spoke to Jeremiah himself and said, those are false prophets. Those are not my messages. That is not what I'm telling the people. You have the word. And so we look at Jeremiah, I was like, well, well how, how do we take spiritual nourishment away from this? Because I think part of what we're seeing here, and, and if you look at Jeremiah, you read the, kind of the context of what's going on, chapter 14, 15, and 16 here. Jeremiah, God gives Jeremiah a, a negative word to give to the king, to the leaders, and to the people. And then Jeremiah kind of comes back and says, please bring blessing. Please forgive us. Please help us. And that's going on for several chapters here. And Jeremiah cries out on behalf of the people. Then he's crying out on behalf of himself. said, God, I don't know how long, much longer I can do this. This is hard. This is heavy. You're calling me to stand and be different. You're calling me. You're setting me apart. You're, you've called me to, to, to share your word. And everybody hates me. They can't stand me. They want to stone me. They want to get rid of me. They don't want me around. This is a heavy burden for me to carry, God. And so I think we today, just through the burden and the heaviness of this particular year, we can really associate with Jeremiah because he was hurting. As we look at these words I'm fixed to read, he was in the midst of hurt, of pain, of suffering. Now, granted, our suffering today is a little bit different than what he was going through at that time, but the foundational truths that we see in Jeremiah are the same foundational truths for us today. See, here's the thing about truth when it comes to Scripture. God himself from everlasting to everlasting. We accept that. That also means that the truth of God, the foundations of God, are from everlasting to everlasting. And you know something that's easy to talk about? But I, as an individual, I struggle to grasp what that really means. Because I don't understand the word infinity. I, I, I can understand it written out like a definition but to truly grasp that their God had no beginning and had no end. I, my mind just can't grasp it. That the truths of God had no beginning and they have no end. Yet they're effective and true today. I don't understand it. Why? Because my mind is finite and I cannot understand the infinite things of God. I just can't grasp it. I have to accept it. That's part of walking by faith. So these truths that were truths for Jeremiah, that were truths for the nation at that time, are still the same truths that we're looking at that are for us today. So what we do, our job, is to look at the context of what Jeremiah is writing about and dealing with and take the nuggets of truth that are foundational for us today and walk under them. For instance, let's look at Jeremiah 15, 16. You're going to love this verse. This is going to be like our champion verse. And I'm serious. This is incredible. Jeremiah 15, 16. 
When your words came, I ate them. So Jeremiah is talking about the words of God coming to him. We would look at that today and say, when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, when I sense the Holy Spirit in me, I take them and I eat them, okay? He says, when your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name Lord God Almighty. Isn't that an incredible, incredible verse? That's like a a champion of spiritual nourishment verse right there. When your words came, I ate them. That's what I want to do. Whatever that looks like, I want to consume the words of God. Because when the words of God come through the written word, through the spoken word, when they come to me, I consume them. They become a part of who I am. And that's what Jeremiah was experiencing right here. He said, I took your words and they became the essence. They fed me. They nourished me. They brought life to my bones, to my soul, to my spirit. They kept me alive. They kept me focused. They kept me in tune with you. And I want more of that. They were my joy and my heart's delight. What is it that we take joy and delight in? He said, your words gave me joy and gave me delight. Hearing from you, having a relationship with you, following after you, being passionate for the things that you're passionate about. They they gave me uh, a meaning for life. They gave me a direction for life. They gave me the more that, that I want of you. For I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. Now, the word Lord there, if you look at it in your scripture, it's all uppercase, L-O-R-D. That's because that's the proper name of God. That's what we would translate as Yehovah or Jehovah or Yahweh. That's the actual name of God. So he said, I bear your name, Yehovah. God is Elohim and Almighty is the word Zavuot. Now, that can also be translated as the God of heavenly hosts or my favorite, the God of angel armies. I bear your name, Yehovah, Elohim, Zavuot. Wow, what a champion. Let's, let's write it on our, on our arms. Let's put it on the t-shirts. Let's put it across our door frame. That's our champion verse. And we can take that one verse by itself and do that. But you have to understand what Jeremiah is going through when he's writing this. He's been having this conversation back and forth with God where God is telling him the doom and gloom that's about to come to the nation. And he's begging for repentance. Jeremiah's begging for, um, for help. He's, he's begging God not to do that. And God says, I'm going to do it anyway. And then I want you to listen. Let's read this kind of in context And see if we still feel the same way about this verse. Start back in verse 15. Chapter 15, verse 15. Lord, Yehovah, Lord, you understand. Remember me and care for me. Avenge me on my persecutors. That sounds like a godly thing to say, didn't it? Show vengeance on those who hurt me, Lord. Remember me and care for me. He says, you are long-suffering, or another way of saying that is in your patience. Do not take me away. Think of how I suffer reproach for your sake. Think of God, how I suffer for the animosity and the anger and the, and the frustration from other people for your name's sake. You ever felt like that? I'm the only Christian around. I'm suffering. Everybody else They don't seem to be worrying about it, but I'm standing up for Jesus and I'm being punished for this? 
So he's crying out. But then he says those beautiful words. When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. I never sat in the company of revelers. Never made merry with them. I sat alone because your hand was on me and you had filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unending? And my wound grievous and incurable. You are to me like a de- deceptive brook, like a spring that fails. Oh, he's talking to God. Kind of sounds a little bit like some of the Psalms that David cried out, isn't it? Don't worry, God can handle it. He can handle the crying out, the anguish, the frustration. Because look at what God says to him in verse 19 and 20, 21. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. If you repent, I will restore you that you may serve me. If you utter worthy, not worthless words, you will be my spokesman. Let this people turn to you, but you must not turn to them. I will make you a wall to this people, a a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but but will not overcome you. For I am with you and rescue and save you, declares the Lord. I will save you from the hands of the wicked and deliver you from the grasp of the cruel. So let's, let's think about that for just a moment. You see... I don't know if it came from the Western mentality or if it's just an outright attack from the evil one. I don't really know where this mindset came from because I've never heard it preached. But we have this mindset as Christ followers that everything is supposed to be rosy. Everything's going to be good. All the bad stuff's going to happen to the bad people. All the good stuff's going to happen to the Christians because I'm a, I'm a Christian. And because I wear the mantle of Christianity, therefore, nothing bad's ever going to happen to me. But it happened to Jeremiah, and it happened to Moses, it happened to Samuel, happened to Peter, happened to Jesus, happened to Paul, on and on and on and on. And yet we think for whatever reason, again, I don't know where this came from, but we have this mentality that we're set apart which is true, but because we're set apart, we're protected from anything bad happening. See, there's this balance between God protecting us and us living life day in and day out. Look at what he just told Jeremiah. He said, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to make you like a fortified wall. But the people are going to come against you and they're not going to like you. They're going to hate you for my name's sake. Sounds... Very familiar to some words Jesus spoke to us as Christ followers. If they hated me, they're going to hate you also. If you live like Christ, they're going to do to you what they did to me, Jesus said. It's tough. So how do we take an uplifting, encouraging word of spiritual renourishment, which we all need, because we take this truth found in verse 16. Take this truth Found in verse 16, because this is truth that is universal. This is truth from everlasting to everlasting. If you follow this principle, 
of Jeremiah, even though the world is against us, even though things are not going the way that we perceive they should be going, the way that we're praying that they go, the way that we're wanting things to go, if we claim this truth, if we walk in this truth, our lives spiritually will be alive. Regardless of what's happening in the physical and emotional realm. If the spiritual realm is healthy, the rest of it is going to be tolerable. When your words came, I devoured them. I tasted them. I drank them. They became a part of who I was. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. Turn over one page to chapter 17. I'm going to look there for just a moment. So this conversation between Jeremiah and God continues, and Jeremiah is getting more negative words that he has to give to the people. And it's eating him up, and he's frustrated, and he's carrying it, and he's even saying expressions like, Woe to me, why was I ever born? Woe to my mother for ever giving birth to me. You ever had a difficult word that you needed to give someone and the weight of that was almost crushing? I think many of us have. I know I have. It's very difficult. You dread it. You can't stand thinking about it, but you know the longer that it takes, the worse it's going to be to get there. It's the, the waiting is worse than the actual having the conversation. And here Jeremiah is having conversation with God, back and forth, back and forth, pleading for mercy. And God said, no more mercy. I've been giving you opportunity for mercy for generations and you've rejected me as a people. No more. The end is coming. And then he says in verse 5 of 17, this is what the Lord says. And this right here I want us to look at as kind of an application This is not giving us a a true application, but this kind of gives us an idea of what it looks like to be following God and what it looks like when we're not following God, when we're passionate about Him, when we're not passionate about Him, when we're keeping Him on the forefront of life and we're putting other things on the forefront of life, when He is the center of our circle of life or something else is in the center of the circle of our life. That's kind of what this talks about here. So the Lord says in verse 5, "'Cursed is the one who trusts in man.'" So let's stop there for just a second and understand exactly what he's talking about. In the political system that Jeremiah is involved in, in this time frame, there are several major world powers. Judah is not one of them. Judah is buying for friendship with world powers to be able to protect them. And so the kings are listening to their leaders, and the leaders are telling the kings, and the kings are pursuing after Egypt as their savior, after a group of people that's going to protect them. So they're looking to Egypt to be able to send in their forces to protect Judah if and when the bad Babylonians come in to take care of them. And so they are relying on humanity to protect them instead of God to protect them. Now, there's nothing wrong with political alliances. We see that all throughout history. We have political alliances right now in 2020 around the world as a nation. We have enemies and we have political allies. There's nothing new about that. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. The problem that we see in Scripture and what God is is 
telling Jeremiah is you're cursed because that's where you put your hope. That's where you put your firm foundation. Because that's not a firm foundation. That is a foundation that will be eroded away, that will be destroyed. It will not be there to protect you. It may protect you for a little while, but if your reliance, if your foundation is on humanity, it's going to let you down. If your reliance is on God, He will not let you down because His rock cannot be swept away. A little bit of a hint of of the story Egypt was destroyed, or not destroyed, but they were beaten by the Babylonians and their world power came to an end. So Judah, relying on Egypt, eventually, as prophesied and as declared by Jeremiah, says, it's not going to happen. You're going down the wrong path. And it hurt them in the end. So the word is specifically about that. Now, what do we do with that here today? How do I use this as a, as a Christ follower? Where is my firm foundation? Where is my hope and my trust? Is my trust in government? Is my trust in world power? Is my trust in the military? Is my trust in finances? Is my trust in my pastor? Is my trust in my friends? Is my trust in my family? Now, there's nothing wrong with trusting any of those. The problem is, if that becomes the foundation of my trust instead of being the foundation of God, that, under the umbrella of God, is a blessing. That outside of the umbrella of God is idolatry. Anything that is in the center of the circle of your life that is not the Holy Trinity of God is idolatry. Anything could be good, could be bad. If it's in the center of the circle of your life and it's not Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it's idolatry. Cursed is the individual who pursues after man, says in verse 5. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. The person will be like a bush in the wasteland. Visualize this for a moment. Visualize post-apocalyptic vision, idea of a bush in the wasteland. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. Who wants to sign up for that, right? That's not encouraging. That's a bad thing. That's the bad side of things. We don't want to go there. So... Let's figure out what it means to be on the other side, right? What is the blessing? Well, it tells us from God what the blessing is in the next verse. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who trusts in Jehovah. Where is our trust? Where is your trust right here, right now? So you have to answer that as an individual. This is not something teenagers that you can say, this is who mom and dad trust in, therefore I can trust in them. Okay? And adults, just because what our friends or our our government or even our church leaders are believing in. It's what are you trusting in as an individual? What is the firm foundation that you stand upon? Blessed is the one who trusts in Jehovah. What does that look like to trust in Jehovah? What does that look like to trust in God in the midst of 2020 with everything that's going on? We've got people here that had some major, in our our congregation, had some major flood issues that lost a lot of stuff over this last week. What does it look like to trust God when I need a new roof, when my car got flooded, when I lost a bunch of stuff, when I don't have a job, when I got to drive to Dagum Garson Point five days a week to go to Pensacola? 
Are they going to put the toll back? When's that going to start back? Is that going to happen Wednesday like they said? I mean, oh my goodness, all of these things start weighing on us. And we look at it and say, well, you know, I don't have to go to Garson Point. No big deal. But I travel to Garson Point every single day. That's a big deal for me. That's $200 or more a month that I'm having to fork out to be able to go to Pensacola because of other people's mistakes. And then that blame game starts to kick in. And then the anxiety and the stress starts to elevate And then I start remembering, maybe I'm putting my focus on the things that are temporary instead of the things that are of God. What does it look like to focus on God in the midst of these difficult circumstances? It's the intentionality of practicing His presence. It's the intentionality of looking toward Him and focusing on Him day in and day out. It's the intentionality of asking, God, what do you think about this situation? How am I to be blessed in this and how am I to be a blessing in this? Look at what it looks like to be blessed. Verse 8. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Man, that's a beautiful little picture. Now let's take the stencil and we'll draw it. And we'll go up to kids' church and draw this out on the dry erase board and make puppets out of it, right? Because it's a beautiful little thing about a tree next to a water and this pretty, pretty, pretty just expression, this idea. What's the truth of that look like for us, for you, for me as an individual? How do we live that out? Because it sounds very reminiscent, again, of some of the Psalms that were written. You can envision the tree planted next to the water, the beautiful brook, big huge oak tree, green leaves, nice hammock or lawn chair out under it. You can take a nap listening to the brook. Just this beautiful, serene scene. The birds are chirping. Look, I can reach up. It's an oak tree and it has apples and oranges on it at the same time. It's beautiful. It's amazing because it's God. So what does that look like for us in our own lives? They will be like a tree. They will be like a tree. You will be like a tree. I will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. What's the importance of sending out tree roots near the stream? It gets the water. The water is nourishment. Who is, what is our water source as Christ followers in our world today? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is described as living water. The Holy Spirit is this never-ending, infinite stream of nourishment. Again, there's that word infinity. How does it mean well, I mean, what does it mean that God's nourishment will never end? His Holy Spirit access to water is unlimited. It's never going to run out. It's always there. It can always provide. It always gives us more. What does that look like? It's the intentionality of where we plant. I would argue that by the choices we make, we tend to sometimes walk into the desert and put our roots in deep in the desert. And then we wonder why we're not being fed, why we're not being blessed, why things are not happening the way we want them to happen, why I feel exhausted 
why I feel unnourished. When we are called to be planted, that's our choice of where we are planted. We plant ourselves near the water source of the Holy Spirit of God. You see, this right here is a great way to feed us, to sustain us spiritually. But again, it's a choice. I can read the Bible all day long. I can memorize the Bible all day long. And if it never goes from my eyes and my ears and my mind down to the essence of the DNA of who I am into my soul, then it's just another book. It's no different than any other book that's out there. It's a book that gives, has the potential to give life. If I choose to devour it, if I choose to adhere it, if I choose to take it and have it become a part of who I am, part of my DNA, part of my makeup, but it's a choice. I want to take this. I want to take my, my head knowledge. I want to take the things that go in my ears and, yeah, ears and eyes, and I want those things to be God-honoring, God-glorifying, God-uplifting, because when that happens, then I am being spiritually renourished. Yet, when I'm in the wasteland, I'm focusing on the doom and the gloom. I'm focused on the bad things that are going on and the negativity and, and what I'm reading and it's all, all the negative stuff. It, it comes in here, and then that becomes a part of who I am, and I'm trying to get nourishment out of something that cannot give nourishment. It's a desert place. But look at what we are, are called. It does not fear when the heat comes. Guys, I'm not talking about the external temperature, but we have been living in a season of heat. It's been a hot, hot year. It's been hot. It's been one thing after another. It's flaming arrow of the evil one after flaming arrow of the evil one after another, after another, after another. There are literal fires that are happening, and there is... Spiritual fires that are happening all over the place. And so much of this that we're dealing with, the vast majority of it, is, is a spiritual issue. It's so much of it is a spiritual issue that has manifested itself in the physical presence. And so here we are trying to deal with spiritual issues that have manifested themselves spirit, uh, uh, physically, and we're attacking the physical, and it's so much of it spiritual. But... As he says here, does not fear when the heat comes. As a Christ follower, we can't fear the heat. Why? Because I'm rooted in the Holy Spirit of God. Okay? Its leaves are always green. Its leaves are always green. It's been a winter. It's been a year-long winter in a lot of ways. It's been cold spiritually. There's been dryness there's been snow everywhere. There's nothing living. Everything seems to be falling apart. Everything seems to be decay. And yet in the middle of it, we as Christ followers, because we're rooted next to the Holy Spirit of God, are evergreens. We're always alive. We're always full of life and energy and, and this explosive Christ-centered fellowship. It's just it's an outpouring of who we are. We are called to be evergreens, where our leaves are always green and always shining Pointing toward the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. It has no worries in a year of drought. It's been a year-long drought, hasn't it? Everything's dried up. Nothing seems to be working. Issue after issue. What's coming next? I've heard so many times over the last few months, but especially the last few weeks, statements like, I can't wait for 2020 to get over. Can't wait for 2021 to get here. I'm done with this year. 
I wonder if God has that same idea. I wonder if God is saying, man, if, hey, if you can just hold on four more months, man, if you can just hold on till January 1, boom, little pixies are going to be out and everything's going to be, it's all going to be glorious. We're going to be singing songs and dancing dances and it's 2021, yay, like it's magically going to be better. You know, if we believe the foundation of the truth of scripture where it says today is the day the Lord has made, this is the day the Lord has made. If God made this day, then there's a purpose and a plan for it. This is the day the Lord has made, and I will choose in this moment to rejoice and be glad in it. Look at this last thing he says, then never fails to bear fruit. As Christ's followers in the midst of the drought, in the midst of the heat, in the midst of the wintertime, we are called to bear fruit. In the midst of it. We're in the midst of heat, midst of drought, midst of wintertime, and yet, as Christ followers, we are called to what? Make fruit. To live a life grounded in the Holy Spirit of God, producing an outflow of love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and self-control and respect and anything admirable and all these beautiful things that are pointing to Jesus and give them out. Give it out. Be an oak tree that produces grapes and oranges, and apples, and zucchinis, and squash, and has big old pumpkins hanging out, and all of these beautiful things. That's what we're called to be. This outpouring of love, and joy, and peace. Bearing fruit. Those are the ones that are blessed, and those are the ones that are encouraging me. When I see those who are in the midst of all that's been going on, are focused on loving, and honoring, and glorifying Jesus at the expense of all else. That's what Jeremiah was doing. He had some hard, hard days, but he was focused. So here, listen to God's final instruction here, and we're going to be wrapping this up. In verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. God sees within your heart, within your soul, within your mind. God knows what the struggles are that you are not verbalizing to anyone else. God knows what causes the stress and the strain and the anxiety and the worry. And God says, give it to me. I want you to be founded in the firm foundation of the spirit of the living God, which is all nourishing, which never fails, which never runs out. Power may be out for 36, 48, 72 hours and lose everything in the fridge. But guess what? The water source never gives up. It's the Holy Spirit of God. Now, the Holy Spirit of God does not feed my physical belly. And so that becomes part of the struggle, doesn't it? Because, oh, well, we're talking physical tough in a, in a spiritual realm. So Holy Spirit always gives me everything that I need in the spiritual realm. What about this? Because I don't have this and I don't have that. And this has been lost. And I, I don't know how to make, it, uh, make the decisions about uh, insurance and life and, and fellowships and, and, and vehicles. What do, I, what do I do here? And everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will envelop you and fill you and bless you. Why? Because that's that root going deep 
into the Holy Spirit's ever-giving flow. And so that's what we're called to do. That's who we're called to be. Spiritual renourishment starts and ends with each of us as an individual. In the same way you are to guard what comes into your mind through the things that you read and the things that you listen to, and as you are called and accountable for the things that you put into your body through the things that you eat and drink and the exercise and things that Dr. Tim talked to us about last week. So each of us are responsible for our growth spiritually. And just to simply acknowledge, hey, I'm struggling with producing fruit right now. I, th- I, I may be an evergreen, but you know something? The storm came through and I've only got three leaves left. Huh. Well, guess what? We can produce more leaves. We can still be that evergreen. It's the intentionality of focusing on Him. Guys, if I can just make it for the next five minutes focusing on God, And then the next five minutes, the next five minutes, and asking him, God, what brings you honor? God, what brings you glory? God, how do I focus on you? God, how do I draw closer to you? God, I want more of you. God, I just, I want it, I want it, I want it. Help me, help me, help me. He honors those prayers. He honors those. See, the spiritual renourishment is a choice that we make. So here's how we're going to end. With the prayer that... Peter prayed over the church of Thessalonica. The prayer, the doxology, the the blessing that he gave to the church and that is for us today. I want to pray this over us. May God himself, the God of peace, the God of shalom, sanctify us through and through. May our whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls us is faithful, and he will do it. Father, we honor you this morning, and we glorify you, and and we do declare that this is the day that you have made. You have a purpose and a plan for this day. This is the only time that this day will ever exist. It's never existed before. It will never exist again. And some people say, praise God, I've made it through another day. But Father, I understand that all of us live in that place from time to time. May that not be the place where we live the rest of our life. Dreading the next day thankful we just made it through this one for those of us that are there right now we do pray to be pulled out of the pit out of the doom and gloom out of the hardship that is life right now but father i i declare again the truth that you have gave us that we as christ followers by maintaining our heart's desire toward you, by maintaining our focus on you, by keeping our roots firmly founded near the water source that is you, we will overcome. It may not be the way we anticipate, 
we think or dream, but we will overcome because you are our strength. You are our firm foundation. And may we wake up every morning anticipating your hand upon our hearts and our lives. Anticipating more of you. Excited about the opportunity to spend time with you and to know you and to love you and be loved by you. Father, we need encouragement. The way Jeremiah cried out and said, God, I need encouragement, and you gave it. Would you give encouragement to us today? And we're going to praise you regardless. In Jesus' name. Find out more about First Baptist Church Gulf Breeze at fbcgulfbreeze.com.